Ladies and gentlemen, it's another great day here on the Salty Pastor, and I want to welcome you. I'm Jesse Mayer, your host and producer of the Worship and Arts Ministry at Foothills Christian Church, located in Boise, Idaho. Our hope is that in a world that is reaping what it has sown over the last 45 years, this podcast brings you insight, knowledge, and wisdom concerning what is happening and how to chart a course forward. This is all made possible by the insight of Dr. Douglas Peak, lead pastor of Foothills Christian Church. Let's welcome Pastor Doug. <laughs> I feel so welcomed. Thank you, everybody, for being here today listening, and I hope that uh, the Lord just speaks to you and helps you understand at a deeper level what's going on in this world, and you gain wisdom, and in the process, you grow stronger. You are not easily swayed because you know who you are, who God has called you to be, and the direction your life is meant to go. So on Tuesday's podcast, we did a deep dive of Ephesians chapter four. Mm-hmm. I would like to do a brief review of what you shared with us. Uh, we, first, we kind of focused on the goal of life on earth for every person uh, is to be redeemed by Jesus, is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which they have been called. So mm-hmm. that's kind of point one, that if you've been redeemed by Jesus, your goal is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we've yeah. been called. Point two, uh, we kind of hit on, according to Paul, this basically means to work really hard to pers- uh, pers- uh, preserve. preserve. I think I that's the word you're looking for. <laughs> I was like, my brain was fried. Preserve the bond of unity and keep it as a priority. Yeah, really working hard because in verses you know, 1 and 2, he says, this is the goal. Walk in this manner by preserving the bond of unity created by the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we kind of moved on and we said the best way to do this is to work on myself first, keep my yes. own growth and maturity and faith, my primary goal. And then we talked about how Jesus gave us the church and set it up in a way mm-hmm. to help us grow to maturity. Yes. And then finally we went on and said, when I find my place, my ministry in the church is how I grow to maturity and will not be deceived by this world. Yeah, that's pretty good summation. Yeah, I think you hit all other, of the other major than my, uh, inability. I, I, <laughs> Tuesday I had my big, big words, and now today I've used up all my brain power <laughs> and can't say anything for the whole week. I've used all word. of my big words for the week. <laughs> that's what, when you get your doctorate. That's what they teach you: is you get that yeah. like a higher capacity for just words, one big right? word a day. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's all you get. Why would you get your doctor? No, I'm teasing. So let's talk about how these principles in chapter four are significant today. Well, uh, I I think that what's really fascinating that I've seen over the last seven to nine months is that in the 34 years that I have been in the full-time ministry, I've never seen the church in America. Now, other places I've seen it and witnessed it, but the church is being sifted. And, you know, there's this discussion in the New Testament by Paul. It's brought up by the Apostle John. Peter talks about it in his his letters that he wrote. Jesus mentioned it, and that is uh, there's going to be a separation. And in the New Testament, they use this language called separating the wheat from the chaff. Right. And so basically what that imagery is, is that when you harvest wheat— you know, you gather up all these little stocks and you put them together and that's called a shock. Okay. Shock. It's called a shock. That's why in Wichita, uh, Wichita State University, their mascot is called the Shockers. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, in Old English, they could be referred to as sheaves. 
So it would be a sheave, and that's why you have that old hymn, Bringing in the Sheaves. Right. You know, when I was a kid, I thought they were singing Bringing in the Thieves. Uh. <laughs> I don't know why, but I did. Uh, so what happens in this imagery that they talk about there is that they didn't have any mechanical way, really, to thresh it. And what you have to do is you have to separate. There's this little shell, very thin skin, on the outside of the kernel of the wheat, Okay, and very similar to when you're eating peanuts, you know, you break them out of the shell. There's that that dark brown skin around, around right. it, and you kind of have to get rid of that. You don't want uh, that in your teeth or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, so you have to get rid of the stalk, and on top of the stalks are these little, these little tendrils that stick up, and then you have uh, leaves in there. All that's c- considered chaff because it's not the wheat kernel, which you can grind and then turn into some type of bread. And so what's happening now is they would thresh it. They'd put it on top of a hill and then they would whack it with sticks. And then they'd take these flat baskets and they would throw it in the air. And the wind, they did it on top of a hill because it was more windy up there. The wind would come through and it would blow the chaff out. And that's how they separated it. Uh, and I, thought, I find it really interesting here where he says in chapter 4 is that people, I think it's verse 14, should not be... Uh, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, which means if you're separating the chaff from the wheat, the church itself is being sifted Mm. and it's finding out today in America. Now the church in China and the church in India, the church in Africa is very, very strong and it's growing. It's that's where it's growing the fastest in the world today. And when you go there, these people are not talking about, silly insignificant things these people know the gospel they know the bible and they know uh the propositional truths of the gospel i mean they are they have no question what this this is just the average believer in china right in in america uh i just read a survey uh that people took uh, just recently through the Barner Research Group that said that 30% of people who think they're evangelical Christians, and the term evangelical Christian means you're a Protestant who takes the Bible seriously, you believe you should share your faith, that there is a God, but uh, 30-some percent believe that Jesus sinned. Hmm. So, so what's happening here is a separating from the wheat from the chaff in this pandemic. And what we're finding out is a lot of people who thought that they knew what they believed in reality they don't even know what they believe and they don't know why they believe it and part of that and here's kind of salty this is just my uh, observation and and I kind of went through this myself when I started out in the ministry I was young filled with spit and vinegar I'm gonna change the entire universe you know (laughs) Uh, all that kind of stuff but you know, I, I, I was when I was young, it was like, well, the most important thing is to be as hip as I could and cool as we could and have the latest music that we can because we're going to reach all these people for Jesus. Right. And it turns out that what you win people with is what you keep them with. And if if they think that Christianity is being cool and listening to cool music and feeling good about the bad choices you're making, then guess what? They tend not to have any depth of faith. They're blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. And so before the pandemic nine months ago, I think what people really wanted uh, in a church was they wanted a church that was cool, that it was hip that it resonated with where they were at at that point. 
But Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For there will come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. And what he means by that is propositional truths that never change. These are objective truths that never change. He says people don't want to listen to that anymore. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears, their itching ears want to hear. Hmm. I think that became really prevalent, not in the church outside of America, but in America. Uh, they want they wanted people that spent more time talking about social trends and cultural things and all this stuff uh, uh, than really delving into the pure doctrine of the faith. Uh, those very few things that are revelatory objective truths that never change. Therefore, all of these people when the pandemic hit have been blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. Uh, I was on a phone call with about 150 other pastors from large churches all over the United States. I was just listening. It's a big phone call. I I mean, I wasn't talking or anything. I was just listening to them talk and they were sharing stuff. And, and a lot of these really, really large churches, uh, mega churches across, you know, one of their biggest problem that they're having is that their church is divided and their church is, is really divided to the point where people won't even speak to each other over whether or not a mask wearing at church should be mandated or not. Mm. And so to me, that's really interesting that that would become such a divisive issue. Uh, we used to sit around uh, when I was in grad school and this guy was talking about how there was a church in Mississippi in this small town. And it, it the name of the church is the Christian Community Church of the Non-Hat Rack. The Non-Hat Rack. Yeah. So obviously they split from a church that had a hot, that had a hat hat rack. rack. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And so we think, wow, those people are so crazy. You know, we're so much more enlightened and we're so much smarter and wiser and blah, 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 blah. But if you think about it back then, you know, 100 years ago or whatever, uh, before there was air conditioning, before places had electricity in them, uh, the issue of hygiene was big. Lice was a huge problem. Lice was a huge problem. And whether you should wear your hat in church or not, or are you going to put it on? I mean, it was a whole hygiene issue because if you put your hat on a, uh, a hat rack with other hats, you know, lice can, you know, get transfer. transfer so there's all this stuff and it split. We look back on that and laugh at it and think it's silly because we feel we're so enlightened. And what this pandemic has shown, maybe we're not so different than our ancestors at all. We're very similar. And I think before the before the pandemic, what happened is is that fluff was the name of the game in church to attract people. And what people found out is that fluff is not enough. It doesn't sustain you through really difficult times like we are now, all these challenging times. So I I think that uh, people over the last probably 20 years, 25 years in the church in America, and I'm being specific about that, have been led to believe things that have weakened their faith, not strengthened it. And 
I mean, what I mean by that is they've been led to believe that the most important things about being a Christian are your your political positions, your cultural positions, uh, whether you like people who orient uh, as homosexuals or not, uh, how how loving you define yourself to be. And because of that, they haven't developed a strength or depth of faith and followed the real critically important orthodox, classic orthodox principles of the faith. And that's why verse 12, he wrote, the point of pastors, the point of leadership isn't to teach people what they want to hear, but to articulate and to translate and engage people in order to equip them for works of service. And that means ministry, you know, that the body of Christ may be built up. And this is, this is a direct refutation of the notice uh, or the notion that I, you know, my church is nature or my church is sports or my church is my friends or my church can be whatever. No, it can't. What the church is something that belongs to Jesus. It's his bride. And the goal of the church is to help you find your ministry in this world, you know, and what that does is that builds you up. Okay. And it creates unity of faith, not division, but unity of faith. Why? Because we have a deeper knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what he did in us when he redeemed us. And that's how we become mature. And we, we, we attain to the full measure of every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus. So the true goal of the gift that you have is to do your ministry and grow mature. So that's pretty much it. So you often discuss the need for a biblical worldview. If the opposite is a secular worldview, what is the basic difference between the two? Well, that's a really good question because I think that the reason why uh, the church in America got away from just uh, uh, that sense of this real important doctrine, you know, they don't want sound doctrine anymore, is because of a couple things. Um, Number one, it's because some people who do what I do misinterpreted what sound doctrine is. They, they think that sound doctrine is having an answer for every situation. And so people thought, oh, sound doctrine means basically that I, you know, I have to li- live this incredibly legalistic and restrictive life. Okay, because, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. And, you know, people ask questions, you know, like, well, is it biblical to have hair over my ear? Is it biblical to have a tattoo? Is it biblical to, you know, have four children instead of two children? And and then you have people that say, well, sound doctrine teaches that. But that's really not sound doctrine at all. It's not complex. It's actually very profound. It's very basic and it's very simple. But those truths impact everything, okay? Uh, And one of the places that sound doctrine uh, um, is really prevalent is in the notion of a biblical worldview versus a secular worldview. And the primary difference is this. What makes a human being a human being? And this, this is a very simple question, but it is extremely profound. 
And the secular understanding of human nature is that you are not a spiritual being, number one. And number one, you are a product of nature. So you are a, your, your existence is purely material. And the people who propagate these notions are leading atheists. Sam Harris does, uh, Richard Dawkins, before he passed away, Christopher Hitchens. The list just goes on and on and on. And uh, in America, we have a movement today politically of Democrats and Republicans. We have a two-party system. And then we have a bunch of other little kind of small parties. The largest group of people, though, politically register as independents. Right. But they really only have two choices on who to vote for when the, the vote comes. And so those are political des- designations. Philosophical designations are different. Uh, even though they kind of little migrate a little bit towards one or the other politically, they, they really don't have a lot to do with politics. And I, I say that up front because um, in philosophy, you have postmodern philosophers who tend to be very progressive and because they believe there's no meta narrative meaning there's no absolute truth there's no objective truth and anytime you make a truth statement you're doing a power play on somebody else what because they tend towards that that therefore the secular understanding of human nature is that there's no intrinsic value in you simply because you're a human being now they say there is But when pushed, they admit that it's not true. Sam Harris has been pushed to try to identify this and has been unable to do so in debates over and over again. And basically what that means is in the secular worldview, when you dispense of the notion that human beings have intrinsic value, you lose any and all rational basis for human dignity or human sovereignty. So when you say that human beings are simply material, right? There's no soul. There's no spiritual aspect of them. Then they weren't created in the image of anything. And your brain is just a highly complex computer, right? And here is what's really fascinating. And Sam Harris postulates this, and I've actually preached on this before, and that is, Under secular understanding of human nature, you don't have free will. It's just an illusion that your mind creates to make yourself feel better about yourself. That's Sam Harris's postulate in his book. And he's written about that. And the people that postulate this are not this weird group of people that live in weird places, you know, um, in various cities. Uh, These are people who are heads of the Department of Philosophy at Yale, Princeton, Harvard. You go out to Stanford. So these are the leading thinkers in our society and culture today. And they talk about how, well, in reality, you don't have free will. You really don't. Now, the biblical view of human nature is very different. And the biblical view of human nature is this, is that you have a soul and your choices influence your soul. So you have free will. And so uh, without trying to go too extensive, when you read chapter one and chapter two of the book of Ephesians, what you see is that I we've been created in God's image. Right. But we have a problem 
And that problem is, is that sin is in the world and sin enters into our soul and taints our soul. Now, this is why you can feel good or think you're a good person and still do bad things. Um, That's how we psychologically, I think, exist. However, when you take that and you compare that to the holiness of God, we can't be in his presence because that sin, that taint would cease all of us to be, you know, exterminated, wiped out. In, in other words, our soul would be destroyed. Consequently, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to send Jesus Christ so that in his sinless life, he would be crucified for us so that his righteousness could now cover you and me. And what that does is that now, before you become a Christian, guess what that means? You have intrinsic value because you're at the center of God's cosmic plan, right? Now, if you reject his plan, you know, that's your choice, but you won't receive the righteousness of Christ bestowed upon you. Okay, and that's a really big deal. And but once you accept his plan, because your faith is how you accept it and open up, then what happens is your life is completely transformed. You now have the righteousness of God on you. And in chapter one and chapter two, we talk about, you know, the incomparable power that we have, the hope eternal that we have, the inheritance from God we have. He just goes on and on and on about all this amazing stuff that happens in our lives. But the biblical worldview at its core says human beings have intrinsic value because they're living souls. And this is really interesting because when you go back and you read our forefathers who wrote the original documents about to form the United States of America, they were steeped in a biblical worldview. So even those who would consider themselves non-followers of Jesus had a biblical worldview about human nature, you see. And so that is really significant in the world in which we're living today. And I think what we're confronting right now in this pandemic is that uh, people either have a secular worldview or they have a biblical worldview. And that makes all the difference. So how does finding and doing your ministry reinforce this biblical worldview? Well, I, I think, that, you know, what you believe is like the most important thing about you. I say that a lot because when you really, it's one of those profound truths. And that is, is that what research tells us and what, anecdotal evidence tells us what history tells us is that people do things all the time people make mistakes all the time it's extremely rare extremely extremely rare where a person says i am going to do something i know is evil and not try to rationalize it as something good even serial killers you know, psychotic as they are, have some super warped thing that, you know, I'm setting these people free or I'm doing the world good or they have some sort of thought process that convinces them or rationalizes why what they're doing is okay. Yeah. So, so what's interesting about that is, is that we, the point of all that is that as human beings, we are experts at self-deception, right? We're experts at it. Everybody is. Now, that doesn't mean that we are not favored by God or loved by God. It doesn't mean that we are not have intrinsic value. It just means that the taint of sin has made us really good at it. 
the writer in the Old Testament says, you know, the heart is deceptively wicked, you know, and people don't ever think about what that means. And that is, is nobody wants to think we're wicked, right? But the whole point is it's deceptive. And the whole point of deception is you don't no, you don't know. <laughs> That's how right. Bad. Yeah, how about it's like I was. What do you say when you don't know? I was deceived. They lied to me, you know. And and so the issue is, how do you reinforce this biblical worldview? Is you adopt these primary sound doctrinal things, and that is number one: live out your ministry. That's why ministry. Helping people find their ministry is one of the three key strategies of our church. You know, first we want you to meet Jesus, see, so that you, his righteousness is extended to you. That's where all the power for transformation comes from. Number two, I think, is, is that you be a part of a, a community of faith and discipleship. We call that a small group. We want you to be connected. If you're not in discipleship, then you're not connected to the body of Christ. If you're, and so that's why small groups are such a big deal to us. And then finally, you need to connect and engage with your mission or ministry in life. And that's why it's so important. Because uh, when, when you do ministry, it reinforces uh, that you have a purpose in life. Okay? If you have a secular worldview, then your life is pointless. And this is why nihilism or soul despair, as I call it, is so prevalent. This is why suicide rate, everything else in American society has been going down. You know, uh, cancer uh, survivability has been going up. So that means deaths by cancer is going down, deaths by heart disease. So we're making great strides there. We're making great strides in bringing, you know, violence down. I mean, you just go across the board, blah, blah, blah. But the one thing that just keeps going up and up and up in American society is the suicide rate. And that's just shocking to me because suicide is just, it's just unequivocal, unshakable despair. Right. You know, there's no reason to go on living and particularly among the young. And that, this is because things, the, the secular worldview and the Frankfurt School of Social Theory has become the dogma. And so these kids who are being taught atheistic secular worldviews, rightfully conclude you know they're intelligent people that there's no reason for life so when you do ministry you start getting doing ministry uh uh, research shows that the first thing it does is is it can cure despair and depression you know if you're having depression one of the best things you can do is go out and serve somebody else Mm. (laughs) number two uh ministry strengthens your soul it doesn't allow you to be tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. Uh, it stops you from reading all the crazy stuff on Facebook and then writing some diatribe and hitting send. Right. <laughs> it stops you from that because it strengthens your soul and it helps. Your soul is stronger when it has the right priorities. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. living for the right things. Uh, number three, it gives you a deeper understanding. Ah, now I know why so many people are being tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, even in the church, let alone in society, because people haven't been serving in ministry. The strongest people, the most rooted people, the people with their feet on the ground kind of people are people who, know, who have a ministry and they're working it. Uh, it. It grows your faith 
because you discover that God is moving through you. You're not doing stuff in your own power, but God is doing things through you. And, and that's an incredible thing. So all of these things are critical in reinforcing a biblical worldview. And they all revolve around thing. Find your ministry and do it. So in the end, with all these winds of doctrine that are blowing in our collective societal wind, what can I do or someone listening do that has the greatest impact in navigating these things? Well, the Bible calls this basically discipleship. That's the whole point. Uh, Jesus said right before he ascended into heaven at the end of the gospel, according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, he sees his disciples uh, and he says to them, now I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. And the word for nations is the word ethna in the Greek. And that is the word we get ethnicity from. So our calling is to introduce every ethnic group in the world to Jesus Christ as disciples. We're not called to make converts. We're not called to make fans. We're not called to make uh, people who agree with us. We're called to make people disciples of Jesus. And one of the things that's really important to understand is that disciples cannot be mass produced. They are handcrafted. Mm. Every single one. So basically... When you enter into a discipleship relationship with somebody else, you're finding someone when you first start out and you're saying, hey, would you help me figure this God stuff out? I did that. You did that, whether it was formally or informally. When you look back and you look at every single person who ever became a Christian, they tell a story and it goes something like this. There was this person. This person. <laughs> this person. Now, in... In less than one-tenth of one percent, you will read stories. Uh, like I read about a gal who grew up in Soviet Russia, okay? And she became a Christian. <laughs> and the reason why is because she had a person who, her teacher in like fourth grade, who spent all of their time telling them why God didn't, didn't exist. And she thought to herself one day, why do they spend all their time, give so much effort trying to convince me that God doesn't exist? Therefore, he must exist. So, so that's it. It went through a person, but I don't think that person realized they were discipling they that were. young lady. <laughs> and then she grew up. She was a powerful voice in Russia. Powerful, powerful voice. But um, long and short of it is this, is that we are all brought to Christ through a formal or informal discipleship relationship. Somebody else had an impact on us. And through that relationship is how we discovered the truth of who God really was. So discipleship is the beginning of how the seed of the gospel is planted. And what happens after that is discipleship is how God moves through you to influence other people. And that's why we do the principle of five here. And when the pandemic started, I challenged everybody at Foothills Christian Church, uh, even if you're not a part of our church, to take out a card, a three by five card or sheet of paper and write the name of five people 
that you want to encourage, that you want to pray for, that you want to reach out to and make sure they're doing okay through the pandemic and minister to them. We even put a card on our website. You can go, you can click on it, print it off on your, your printer at home and write down five names. But that's what discipleship is about, is it's I can't save the world, but I can be an influence in the lives of five people that I love and care about. It may be your kids. It may be your spouse that's on that list. Maybe it's your parents or your brother, sister, sibling, a nephew, a neighbor, close friends. But everybody should start the process of discipleship by having five people that they want to influence for Christ. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of these great things with us, um, Pastor Doug. We've got a sermon on Sunday with Pastor Harv, um, and he's going to be covering more on Ephesians 4. So I encourage everyone to read that chapter. Make sure you're really studying. Mm -hmm. Listen to these two podcasts again if you want to just really uh, prime that pump for what Pastor Harv is going to be talking about. Um, And just thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you're sharing these episodes with people in your lives because what we're talking about here and that share might change something in their life and really set them on the path to having spiritual maturity and not being blown about by the winds of culture so thank you guys so much for joining uh joining us see it's another word Uh, thank you so much for joining us and we will see you on sunday here at foothills christian church that's awesome blessings everyone